0: The Corum Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Good morning, church family. My name is Isaiah Lewis. I'm the church planning resident here at Coramdale, along uh, with working with First City Church down in Bellevue. Many of you know that First City was planted out of Corumdale about five years ago. My wife and I have been married for 13 years as of May 24th of this year, and we spent eight or nine of those years up in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area where I was on staff at a church. We moved to Omaha back in March of 2020, which a certain pandemic did as well, if you remember. <laughs> in all transparency, I it a true joy and privilege to be opening God's word with you this morning. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. So I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 28. Psalm 28, if you're using the Bible in the seat under you, uh, page 430 in that Bible. I'm thankful for this opportunity because my study of this psalm has been particularly helpful for me. This psalm addresses one of my deepest faith struggles. So often I find within myself a war raging. See, I long to live in a world of justice. I long to live in a world where those who are most vulnerable among us are not taken advantage of, but are cared for. Passages like Amos chapter 5, verse 24, that describes justice raining down like waters and righteousness flowing like an ever-flowing stream, passages like those are beautifully compelling ideas for me. I had a friend in high school and in college who was on the autism spectrum, and we were pretty good friends, and it used to make me so angry to see how he was teased and made fun of by our peers. I'm an idealist. I long for a world of true equity and justice where those who are not able to care for themselves are cared for, where we celebrate human beings as people made in the image of God, regardless of their age, regardless of their cognitive development, regardless of their physical conditions. I long to live in a world where those who mistreat and oppress others are dealt with accordingly. Perhaps you can relate to those kinds of desires and longings. But on the other side of this war that's raging, so that's one side. On the other side of this war, I'm a deeply introspective person. I've spent the last 20 years of my life studying the Bible and theology, and I have come to cling to the truths of this book So the more I study the scriptures and the more I understand of myself, I see how much wrongness there is inside of me. I see how much is twisted, how manipulative I can be, how selfish I can be, how radically self-centered my worldview is. And I come to recognize that what I long to see at work in the world around me actually leaves me on the outside looking in. I'm in trouble. If justice is a reality to be cherished, an ideal to pursue, a virtue to to grasp for, then the problem is not merely out there in the world around me, the problem is right here. I am left to confront the reality that while I long for justice, I fear justice. I so often am on the wrong side of that justice. So as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I find myself in this really awkward predicament. I get to preach the gospel of the good news of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. The good news that God has poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ, so that any man, woman, or child who repents of their sin and places their faith in Jesus are saved and forgiven. And yet at the same time, I am inwardly trembling. Fearful that somehow, due to some cosmic miscalculation, or due to some asterisk in the gospel, or due to some footnote that I missed, when all is said and done, I'm going to be on the outside looking in. I find that I am both fearing and longing for justice, all at the same time. And I wonder if there's anyone else in this room this morning that can identify with those fears and with those feelings. The author of Psalm 28 can. As the psalm opens, we are immediately invited into a sacred space, a man's personal prayer time, and what we see is a story in prayer form. It traces the journey of a child of God as he's desperately praying for justice, justice on those who set themselves against the people of God, while he's praying that as one of the people of God, he would experience God's care. What does God want us to know about our longing and fear of justice? Our longing for justice and our fear of justice that justice? Well, to answer that question, let's observe this psalm under three headings. The psalm as a historical prayer, the psalm and our experience, and the psalm as solid hope. As we look at this psalm as a historical prayer, we see one of the people of God relying heavily on the covenants of God. Specifically, the covenant that the psalmist is resting his mind on is the covenant that God made with King David back in 1 Chronicles 17. That covenant was that God would be David's God and that God would establish David's kingdom. Now, if the king was receiving the blessing from God, then all of the king's subjects would take part in that same blessing. But for some unknown reason, the psalmist is fearful that he would actually receive those blessings. These promises seem in doubt to him as he begins to write. It seems to him that as if he was in more danger than those who set themselves up against God. So hear his desperation. Look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lest, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Now, confession is good for the soul, so I'm told. And for some of us, one of the most anxiety-producing experiences of the technological world in which we live is the process of being ghosted. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're in a texting conversation with a friend or maybe a family member, and you ask them a fairly personal question perhaps, or maybe you're inviting them to get together at some point in, later on in the week, or maybe you've had to just cancel with them uh, for some engagement that you had set up. And you've been texting back and forth regularly You send that text and you wait for a response and what shows up? The three little dots in the speech bubble. And it just starts pulsing at you, right? And it pulses, and it pulses, and it pulses. And 15 minutes later, you're staring at your phone, your hands and knuckles are white, you can hardly catch a breath, your heart is pounding, and you're like, reply already. And then the bubble just disappears. It's gone, no reply whatsoever. For those of us who can read passive aggression into anything, that's a nightmare. When communication is expected, silence is unnerving. It's bad enough in our human interactions, right? But when the communication or when an answer is expected from God, and God himself is silent, that silence can be devastating. Andrew Peterson writes in his song, The Silence of God, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It'll make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod and the heavens only answer is, The silence of God. The psalmist here is fearful of God's silence because of what it would mean for him. He's telling God, if you be silent to me, then I am no better off than those who set themselves up against you. Those who are under your judgment. God, if you don't answer, I'm no better off than those who suffer your divine judgment. Don't treat me in the same way you treat those who are hostile towards you. So you can hear his desperation, but you can also feel his emotion in these words. If we just rush past the text, we miss the teeth that are found in his request to God. The psalmist is terrified of experiencing the same judgment of God that he's praying the wicked will experience. Look at verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. But at the same time, he says, don't let them get away with evil. Don't drag me off with them, but don't let them get away with it. Verse 4, notice the repetition. Repay them according to what they have done according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve. In other words, the psalmist is saying, God, I fear your justice and I long for your justice. Don't let me get swept away in the judgment that you've reserved for the wicked, but don't fail to dispense that justice. After such desperation and such emotion, notice his celebration in verse six. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to him. That phrase to bless means to take note of God's glories and his excellencies and to respond to them in worship and wonder and adoration. The psalmist longed for and feared the justice of God, but God showed up and answered in such a way that his longings and his fears were all satisfied, were all put to rest, and so he celebrates. And now he describes God, the one whose justice he formerly feared, as what? He describes him as his shield and his strength. But this experience has left an indelible mark on the psalmist. Consider his hope and his prayer found in the last couple of verses. What does he say? The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And then he prays, oh, save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd and carry them. There's both a declaration of truth in these verses for us to cling to, as well as a prayer for us to consider. But the truth is this, and we can't just allow the words to go in one ear and out the other. The Lord is the strength of his people. The Lord is the saving refuge of his anointed. And yet, we live in a broken world. We live in a world full of injustice. There are still evil men and women who speak peace with their mouths, but who inwardly plan evil, like we see in verse 3. Prayer for justice and deliverance, like we see in this psalm, seems to go unanswered on a regular, almost daily basis. So let's look at this psalm in relation to our experience. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking, Isaiah, this is wonderful for the psalmist. I'm happy for him as I can be. But as for me, God is not only not answering my prayers. He's not even listening to my prayers. You feel unheard, unloved, alone. For you, the silence of God truly is enough to drive you crazy and to break you down. Or maybe you're sitting here and you have personally experienced grave injustices Against you. Maybe you've had things committed against you that are unspeakably wicked. Perhaps you are one of the one in every four women who has experienced domestic abuse. Perhaps you've been wrongfully accused of something. Or maybe you've been treated differently simply because of your skin color or your stage of development. Perhaps even within the church, you have experienced abuse that reeks of hypocrisy. You long for justice, but it seems like a mirage, something that's not actually real that you can't actually grab onto. You wonder if God even cares about justice. Or maybe you find yourself in the same internal war that I find myself in so frequently, fearing you will get caught up in the judgment reserved for others. You are longing for both justice while fearing it simultaneously, craving protection and comfort and care when that justice is delivered. There's one particular poem that I read in first read in high school that resonates with me deeply. It's John Donne's poem, A Hymn to God the Father. And in that poem, John Donne asks God in each stanza to forgive a particular sin. And each stanza ends with the refrain, Once you have done that, you're not actually done. I have more. Of course, it's more poetic than how I just put it. Even when you've forgiven that sin, don't sit down yet, you're not done. I have more. The final stanza says this, I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I will perish on the shore. I fear perishing when all is said and done. I fear being left out on the outside looking in. It's the ultimate FOMO, fear of missing out of the most glorious reality a human being can ever experience, dwelling with God. And instead experiencing the worst possible ending, not enjoying God for all of eternity experiencing the divine justice of God in spite of the promises of God. I wonder if you can relate. So let's think about this for just a moment. How can a just God fulfill our longings for justice on those who have committed injustices while simultaneously delivering us from the justice we deserve and caring for us when his justice is poured out. How do we know that we can experience the same kind of hope the psalmist is able to express in verse seven? Is it even possible to express the confidence of verse seven as one of God's children? Can you and I actually say this and believe it? and know it to be true. Here is where we find the psalm to be solid hope for us. This psalm is solid hope for us because it points us to the reality, and here's the big idea, all of our longings for justice and care are satisfied in Jesus. All of our longings for justice and care are satisfied in the person and work of Jesus. How is that so? Well, number one, Jesus satisfies our longings for justice because he delivered his followers from condemnation when he came the first time. Romans 5 reminds us that if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 8 reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How powerful are those two words, no condemnation, no perishing on the shore. And in case there's any confusion in our minds as to what that practically means for us, he says later on in chapter eight of Romans, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies and who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have put your trust in the Son, this God is for you, not against you. In the words of our psalm, those who entrust themselves to God's justice and care through Jesus find God to be their strength and their shield. So Jesus delivered his followers from condemnation. That is one way that he has satisfied our longing for justice. But the second way, Jesus satisfies our longing for justice by delivering his enemies to judgment when he comes again. This is why the gospel is such good news. Because there's coming a day when every wrong will be righted. There's coming a day when every action, no matter how deep and dark the darkness was that action was committed in, it will be brought to light. All of the injustices that seem to go unnoticed or unchecked in our everyday lives and in the world around us, they are not overlooked by Jesus. He is the perfect judge. Acts 17 describes God fixing a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And then Revelation 20 describes for us what that day of judgment will look like. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and books were opened And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Does this sound familiar? It is exactly what the psalmist prayed for in Psalm 28. For those who are here wondering if God hears your cries for justice, God, in his mercy and in his grace, meets you this morning through this psalm. And he assures you that a delay in answer is not a lack of care. Simply because his answer for justice is, not, is delayed does not mean he does not care. He hears you. He sees you. He knows you there's coming a day when you will be able to cry out with the psalmist, blessed be the Lord. Your longing for justice will be fulfilled. And if this God is your God, you can rest in him as your shield and your strength as you wait for him to deliver that kind of justice. For those who have experienced grave injustice, Today, God meets you in his grace through this psalm to remind you that the delay of justice is not an absence of justice. Simply because justice is delayed does not mean it is delayed indefinitely. There's coming a day when your longing for justice will be fulfilled to a degree that you cannot even understand. You will be able to say for yourself that the Lord has heard my pleas for mercy. You will find that because you entrusted your care to the one appointed appointed as judge, he has truly become your shield and your strength. Jesus frees us from the slavery of bitterness and despair for he is the righteous judge who will not fail to deliver justice. Friend, if you desire justice in this world, if you long for a world where what's wrong is put right and what is broken is made whole, then you should actually become a Christian because only the gospel of Jesus Christ promises you that future. If there is no God, if there is no cross, if there is no resurrection, then what hope do you have that justice is even possible? It's only the gospel that proclaims the good news that evil has been judged and will be judged. If you crave justice, you are actually craving what can only be found in the perfect judge himself, Jesus Christ. So friend, come to Jesus. All of your longings for justice and care will be satisfied in him. But what about those of us who crave assurance that we will be cared for and protected in the day of judgment. Well, Jesus satisfies our longing for care. Verses seven and nine remind us of this. The New Testament reminds us that by the Holy Spirit, God is actively and faithfully strengthening his people. Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus is described as the chief shepherd? He's described as the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews chapter 13. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast, says the songwriter. He is, as Hebrew reminds us, an uttermost kind of Savior. He doesn't save 98.9% of the way. He brings his children all the way home. And if we have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, when we have spun our last thread, we do not need to fear perishing on the shore. In fact, we can joyfully repent of this unbelief and embrace by faith and with joy the promise that upon our death, in the words of John Donne, the sun, S-O-N, will shine as he shines now with as much mercy and grace and love and acceptance, not rejection, for all of eternity. So friends, hear and rejoice in the message of Psalm 28. All of our longings for justice, all of our longings for care are satisfied in Jesus. As verse nine says, Jesus is the strength of his people. Jesus is the saving refuge of his anointed. Jesus will save his people and bless his heritage. Jesus will be our shepherd and will carry us forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a solid rock for us to stand on. Father, we thank you that it addresses the reality of life in a fallen world, that it does not shy away from dealing with the reality of evil and and wicked men and the fears of our hearts and the weakness of our flesh. Thank you that you meet us in your word. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray that this morning, Spirit, you would use your word to encourage those who need to be encouraged, that they would be strengthened by the reality that Jesus satisfies our longings for justice and care. And Father, if there is one here this morning that has never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, who is still trying to be the king of his or her own world, I pray that they would see the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus Christ and that they would return to him in repentance and faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.